Words, they get golly hard when they jumble. Jumping over hurdles, slowing birds like a turtle. Merkin fool, like squirtle and cake boo. Cold blood is with this rhyme scheme, I'm a boss. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about violence, revenge, identity, and our fierce protection of it. I've been thinking about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. My guest today is author Rebecca Sachs. She received an MFA from the University of California, Irvine. She's a graduate of Dartmouth College and the recipient of numerous grants, awards, and writing prizes. Rebecca worked at Vanity Fair before moving to Tel Aviv to pursue a Master's of Arts in Jewish Studies and has just published her first novel, City of a Thousand Gates, which Joshua Ferris describes as panoramic in scope, devastating in its detail. Sachs' novel spares no one, but sympathetically, emphatically, with tremendous love. Um, Welcome, Rebecca, and thank you so much for joining us today on That Got Me Thinking. Thank you, Ellie. I'm so happy to be here. So just before we started, I was telling Rebecca, like, what a a fantastic (laughs) writer um, she is, you are. Uh, just just sitting down with the book and, and the first couple pages, I just had to put it down and just breathe and just be like, oh my gosh, so good. Uh, just absolutely wonderful. So thank you um, for sharing that talent with us. Um, how critical was it to your approach? I'm going to just riff a bit on um, what Joshua Ferris said. How mm-hmm. critical was it to your approach, do you think, to spare no one in the book. And and my interpretation of what he meant by that was you have characters from all over the spectrum um, and you, you, you pull the curtain open, you know, to show us them. Yes, I, I mean, I was so gratified when, when I saw um, what Joshua Ferris had, had, had said about the book because, I, I didn't know how I would be read, and I didn't know if people would read the book I thought I'd written. Um, and and his was one of the first sort of um, blurbs, and 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 it it was um, it was a relief, I think, because it, it 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 was critical to me that I felt that. Um, Every character was written from a deep, deep, deep interior place um, and certainly shaped and influenced um, by their relationship to power, by um, their political and material reality. But, but what I wanted was to start from a... From from a place deep inside each character. And and to me, that that's part of what it means to not spare a character, which, which I understand as meaning um, to not offer any um, ellipses or euphemisms or uh, if there's a place inside a character's um, heart or mind and it's a little scary, it's a little... Um, unpleasant um, to go there to to write to write into into the places that 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 scared me the most and I think that perhaps even my characters would hide from themselves whether it's um, a form of bigotry or a um, disgust they feel towards their own child or 
um, a a competitiveness with their sister's husband, (laughs) whatever it is, I, I I wanted to, um, to get there. You, you do that so well and, and so effectively. And, um, I'm wondering if those vulnerabilities came up from the characters as you were writing, or if those were determinations that you had decided that you wanted to talk about and so assigned it to characters. Mm, such a great writerly question. Um, <laughs> um, I would say that I've heard, and I believe it's true that each book teaches you how to write it. This is my first book, so I, I guess I'll find out. Um, it taught you really well. But I think actually, because there's such a variety of voices mm-hmm. and, and characters and histories, um, that actually almost each character uh, taught me to write them. And, and there was so much variety in the approaches. So sometimes what allowed me access to a character was maybe an element of uh, personal history we shared. Um, you know, to write the, the character of Samar, who's a, um, a middle-aged academic teaching at a Palestinian university and feeling a lot of tension between um, her, her fealty to her work and to her uh, family and community that that I, I think I sort of tapped in a little to um, how I mean I, I I'm uh, I love my mother <laughs> very much and also I'm very engrossed in my relationship with her and our history and it's 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 something that is sort of I think the sort of defining story of of my life perhaps and. And so to access, for example, that character, I started maybe with what we shared, which wasn't exactly a personal history, um, but but perhaps this this sense that that is the, the primary relationship, the defining relationship in our lives. Whereas for other characters, perhaps I would start with something much less deeply interior, and I would, and maybe perhaps I was interested in a dynamic that I didn't quite know much about um, in the couple Ido and Emily, who are a, a relatively young married couple in their their early 30s, and they have their first child. And suddenly, the ideological differences between them. Um, Emily's an American Jew, and and one reviewer called her a softball liberal, which I thought was funny and uh-huh. accurate. <laughs> and um, and and her husband Ido is um, a Jewish. Um, Israeli born Israeli, Israel born Israeli rather, and um, uh, and 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 more more conservative politically. And for them, I, I I was interested in how maybe political difference when they were younger had been a kind of game, kind of foreplay. Oh, you think this, and I think this. Very little consequence to these differences, and and difference is exciting. But once they have this child, um, all of their ideology or beliefs are now going to be. Um, very much affecting the decisions they make for their child, what what school um, their child goes to, what what narratives they're told about um, about Israel and about Palestine, um, what kind of nationalism the child is exposed to. So, I think um, I, I think for, for, for that couple, I, I I didn't know a lot about um, Ido and Emily individually, but I I I, I wanted to see what happened. 
I, I wanted to see what happened essentially in their relationship with this, with this huge change. And it was only as I sort of wrote into that change and that tension that I learn a lot about them and actually for them, how I was surprised by how, um, how actually, um, almost incidental politics are to them. I, I thought it was going to be very important, very crucial. Hmm. And, and it, and it turned out that there were other, um, other tensions and differences and narratives that I think were tugging at them more forcefully. So, mm-hmm. so I think with each character, I, there, there was, a uh, a different, um, a, a different approach in terms of whether what I started with and, and how deeply interior I started. Uh, I love that, that question. Th- thank you for asking it. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. Um, your, your novel so adeptly also in, in addition to exploring the relationship between the Palestinians and, and Israel and the Israelis, um, you, explore the intimacies and you were just talking about a little bit the intimacies and the internal lives um the the struggles there and the beauty there and the souls that are underneath and and you had just mentioned Ido and I'm thinking about some of his internal struggles and at one point he says you almost believe that there's a version of yourself each of us a true version waiting to be found and as soon as the army lets you go as soon as your life begins you'll find him you'll find your true self he's out there he's waiting for you is that something that also sort of sprung up on you, maybe unawares, the fact that this character that you had an idea of was going to be this this strong, you know, military person, really is having the same um, internal struggles about his his relationship and being a father and and being in the army and and what he thought life would bring. You know, I think that reflects how. Um, a lot of a lot of what I came to sort of see and understand um, living in in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem uh, for 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 a number of years, and I think I I came with a certain feeling, um, I suppose, pretty intimidated by um, the the presence of of so much um, militant power um and and no real way to understand it yet no no real sense of when i first arrived in 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 israel a lot of the um ethnic and class and um uh, international dynamics at play um so my first few years in israel was sort of um explaining a lot, a lot to myself <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and coming, you know, I, I wrote some, some nonfiction essays and, um, I'm a consummate journaler. So, and, and I, at first I found it, uh, disturbing, you know, to be on, on public buses and, and there's teenagers with semi-automatics. I, I, I wasn't used to, I suppose I, you know, coming from America, which is a country that's been at war, uh, much of my life, but, that war was those wars have, have were never visible to me um so i, I think i i had i'd gone accustomed to to war existing kind of um in this uh, like um that it that it was somehow obscene in the etymological sense obscene like something hidden behind a screen in theater and and i um 
but but over time i think i began to understand that military life and the presence of the military and uh political violence more broadly isn't some sort of exception isn't some sort of interruption of daily life but in fact patterns it um and it patterns it for Israelis, um, and in very, very, very different ways and disproportionate ways, it patterns it for Palestinians. And I remember one of my jobs when I was in graduate school was I was a researcher um, at the Israel Museum. A wonderful job I had no business doing. I somehow convinced them I could do research into Persian coinage. <laughs> um, I, it was a dupe, but I'm so grateful they gave me the opportunity. It was wonderful. I got to sift through these coin hoards and sort of make remarks on the um, on the various images. It, it, it was wonderful. And everyone I worked with at the Israel Museum was so engrossed and, and, and brilliant. And, and I really was trying to keep up. But one of my office mates, I remember... Um, a, a man in his mid-30s who had a young child. And um, and one week he said, oh, you know, I'll be out for a week or two. I'm going to reserve duty. And I I was think, I, I asked, I was like, oh, gosh, like that, that must be so um, difficult and intense. Um, you know, I, by that point, I, I had like, I knew at least from enlisted soldiers who were doing their mandatory service that everyone is waiting for the army to end so they can go travel and and have have time to themselves as opposed to giving themselves sort of fully to this service. Well, I was thinking it'd be the same for someone in reserve duty. And he said, oh, my gosh, are you kidding? It's so much fun. We just ride around in tanks and eat tuna like it's it's he's like, it's a vacation. And I was stunned. You know, I, I, I it, like it. So and, and I think that really stuck with me a little. And you can uh, I think that carried over into Ido's story and 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 his his um his kind of relief to to be to to go to reserve duty as an adult as opposed to as a as an enlisted soldier when 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 it did feel like the army was crushing him but as an adult and, and kind of just having a good time so um so i that was maybe a dynamic or um let's say uh, a surprising um reversal that 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 um that that i had i had encountered uh, a few years before starting to write the novel, but one of many sort of surprising encounters or reversals that, that, that I think led me to, to very much want to write fiction as opposed to essays or, or something where, where I was at the center. <laughs> well, and he, he seems to be, you know, one reading it can visualize it so well. He's now in a place where he's in control. Um, he's enjoying himself. It's exciting. Uh, he's, he's feeling connected with his team. Um, he's, he's happy, happy being there, which is, is an interesting aspect to ponder in, in the mix of all that's going on. You begin your beautiful book with a cast of characters, almost as as in a play. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the first few pages list the characters in order of appearance and a little bit about them. Um, and then the events that you choose to highlight in your story are two among what we learn as we read are really daily killings and and sort of ongoing tragedies one after another in the in the daily lives of of people on both sides of the wall um what distinguished the two events that you chose to sort of highlight mm. yes in in a way 
in a way, um, I, I didn't actually, that, that is an element that took me by surprise, I will say, because there is a lot of violence uh, referred to in the book. And both deaths were initially um, sort of, um, let's say, the backdrop or, or referred to as, as a kind of atmospheric backdrop, almost um, gesturing towards towards some um, atrocity that had happened that week, meaning the week of mm -hmm. whatever chapter was taking place. And I think what I what I found with both with both of those deaths, um, um, the the young Palestinian boy Salam and the young um, Jewish Israeli girl Yael was that I felt I I I I, I continue to to feel like I wanted to investigate the consequences, um, and and they began to kind of accumulate, I would say value in a sense, because I, I, I wanted to understand the consequences of those deaths in the lives of um, individuals who were living, um, who I would say occupied different, different positions in, in, um, in society, geographically. I say value because um, it's sort of a, a strange, unsettling element of, of writing fiction you kind of understand that there there's no life or death in a story that has any intrinsic value it, it ought to because each human being has intrinsic value and yet uh, investment on the part of the reader and even the person writing it needs to accumulate um through through the the responses and the feelings of of of, of characters. Uh, so yes. Well, I was going to say so much in this in the relation of each character to the event, right? That you build through that not only the understanding of the event, but a deeper understanding of the character. Um, and and it's in the background, but yet it's it's in the forefront. And that was something when I first began reading the book, I was trying to explain, and I I was not successful at it. Your ability to create such a strong and literal sense and experience and depth to the violence without it being um, in in a way where you're watching something that's violent and gory and it loses emotion and power and, and validity and impact um, because of the extremity of it, whereas this couldn't have been more extreme in either case, and 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 it's visceral reading it, and yet that's I think the beauty of your writing and and the gift that you're sharing is that sense that we can really in our soul, not just in our visual mind or or um, experience it, and it takes it to a depth that makes it so real. Hmm. I, I, um, I, it, it's, hmm, I, I struggled a lot with the decisions of how much, how much and what violence to include, um, because, well, one, it frightened me, yeah. <laughs> frightened me to write, and I was wary of, 
replicating um, violence or injustice in a way that, um, in a way, in a way that I suppose was a form of violence itself. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I I felt I, I needed some justification uh, each time I made that choice to depict. Um, death or physical violation um and i i think that one that there's a few there's a a few approaches helped me in that and, and maybe even resulted in some of the effects you've you've very generously described and i think one is i tried to not confuse my me rebecca sachs the the one I suppose typing it out or, or scribbling by hand, but my primary concern or interest in a scene versus the primary concern of the character or, you know, the, the, the point of view that I was in. And, and often it was sort of a, a tension between those two things, between those two points of view, essentially my own and the, um, the character whose, whose eyes we're seeing through. And and so I, I I think in scenes where there's violence, it I, I I very much did not want to create this sort of bird's eye view, I guess, as it were, or or some even sort of editorial voice in which you can sense the author of the book commenting on the violence in some way, um, but rather that it's 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 very much. Um, rooted in in the person who's remembering it or witnessing it or participating in it or fantasizing about it. Um, all, all of those cases, of course, exist in the novel. And so I, I think that was a, a challenge in some ways because I, I often had very strong feelings about what was unfolding. And yet also there was something that gave me more permission um, to, to sort of to let go, to let go of myself and inhabit fully um, a character who perhaps has a very different relationship to violence. So it was it was very scary, and yet there's something very powerful and intoxicating about losing yourself in general. I think for me in, in writing fiction, I I think that might be what I seek after. And, uh, and, and, and the cases, the cases I'm sort of describing were the most extreme, but ma- many were much more pleasant, you know, losing myself in someone else's marriage. What fun. <laughs> yeah. Throughout your work, we experience the daily inequities the writer does lived by the Palestinians. At one point, um, they're described by a boy being interviewed at an East Jerusalem protest. And he says, they take our lives, our bodies, our homes. You poignantly describe the water inequity, one-minute showers, and really 30-second showers um, versus swimming pools. The excessive travel times were revisited by that again and again. Um, the discriminating road use, ability to use the, their roads, um, the barriers, the imbalanced power, the restrictive and the in- inhumanity at the checkpoints um, to bulldozing their homes. Um, a, a tragic imbalance of the power exists, and that comes to us again and again as, at the, as the reader. And one character points out, not even the right to mourn. What does this character mean when he says that? Um, well, 
Yes, I um to to respond to to the the, the sort of like the um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Um, I, I'm very invested, I think, generally in depicting uh, a material reality, depicting um, uh, a disparity in power and an asymmetry as I saw it, in part because the narratives that I, I, I've seen coming out of Israel and Palestine, or, or more, even more than that, um, from Americans writing about, um, or Canadians, I'm, I'm both, I should, I should, <laughs> I should cop to that, Americans and Canadians write, writing about um, Israel and Palestine, is there, there's a lot of narrative, what I feel truly are kind of narrative lies, um, narratives of, of symmetry, where the conflict is understood as some kind of ancient uh, disagreement um, irresolvable because of the very nature um, and maybe perhaps even indistinguishability of the of the two parties engaged, um, which is um, a little grotesque to me. I think that it that it it tries to like imagine this conflict as outside of political power, as outside of uh, colonial histories, um, and 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 I think that. Um, mm, that felt urgent to me to 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 reflect in the lives um, in the lives of the characters and the choices they have and the pressures they feel. And I think that it, it also felt to me like an important alternative to an ideological argument over who has rights to what and, and um, um, maybe even, uh, you know, arguments of historical justifications one way or another, um, but, but rather looking at what are the consequences of one people having so much power over another for the subjugated Palestinians and for the Israelis who, who are put in this role of... Um, of 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 having of having power over another people and 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 what and the, and the consequences for both peoples which i think are are not symmetrical and not identical but in both cases are dire the consequences are dire for for for, for both peoples and um and i so to to get to get back to the question about um uh not even the right to mourn i i think that's Samar who who says that and um, I'm not, but I could be mistaken. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny. They, they all have lives almost outside of me now, but, um, um, but, but I, I think, um, that related to one of the mm, most extreme iterations of that inquiry into power, which is who has control of their own bodies. Um, in what ways are, is people's, um, time controlled, their physical bodies controlled um, through checkpoints and incarceration and um, a sort of myriad of other ways in which 
the state can can exert itself over over the bodies of of individuals and i think in this case not even the r- r- right to mourn i i i wrote um some of the chapter with um salama bukhtir after um the, the the young man whose body is being referred to here who who when he dies um there's some question over whether his body will be confiscated by the um, Israeli military to prevent uh, essentially a, a protest, um, a martyr's burial, or whether his family will be able to bury him in a timely manner. And this was something that was going on um, while while I was writing the book. Um, so this is not a um, a question or a reality that I that I you know fabricated for narrative effect, but rather witnessed and felt obligated to include. Um, and and I think um, I, I think as I said, the the consequences being dire for both for both peoples, that there's a sense that almost all bodies are nationalized or or belong to an, a, a political ideology um, when the conflict is that pervasive and and sort of inhabits every, every corner of, of domestic and, and intimate life that, um, you know, another character, um, sorry, uh, Ori, the, the young soldier, 19 years old Israeli soldier, is very aware that if he dies in uniform, he'll be posthumously, um, uh, you know, promoted a rank, that, that, that his death will, will have a kind of national value. So I, 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 I think this felt like, um, something I couldn't shy away from. Um, and, but, but something I was witnessing, uh, and, and, and did feel, feel obligated to include in, in, in the depiction of, of the place. Your story so well demonstrates or illustrates the way that hate has been sewn into the fabrics of, of so many daily exchanges and becomes sort of a veil, um, which is seen through, uh, for for every character at different points in the story, and um, one character says the Israelis were glad for the girl's murder because it allows them to do what they were going to do anyway. And I think they're talking about when they're going to bulldoze the the home, but now do it in the dead girl's name. Um, and as you're speaking, I'm thinking about those two elements of the individual, but also the state and the sort of desire of the state or and, and then smaller down for the group and then for the individual to continue these cycles of violence that that there is as awful as it is, there's some value gained um, by by individuals at different times and, and definitely by by the the states. Um, I think it's Ori's mother that says you were always going to funerals, to and from funerals, in cars filled with grieving mothers. And so although there is this extreme power imbalance and, and the oppression is definitely upon the um, Palestinians, the Israelis, the the oppressors are also living in this cycle of violence and and the oppression. Which, um, as we read your story, we understand the the impact of that in their relationships and and, and internally. Yes, yes. First, I I love this this uh, description you gave of of violence as a kind of veil. Um, I'm I'm going to. 
I'm going to use that. Thank you. <laughs> but um, uh, but but yes. Yeah, so this is exactly what I what I what I meant when I talked about that the consequences are are dire for 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 both Israelis and for Palestinians. Not not they're not identical. They're not symmetrical. But 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 there's very real consequences. Um, yes, or Ori's mother, um, Miriam, who lives um, in a, a settlement. Um, she, you know, is 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 very um, aware of um, of the the danger that that her son, who is in the the army, is in, and um, and in in some ways it it sort of it, it consumes her, um, and uh, I, I yes, yeah, so so I I think that um, I think. I'm wary to draw strong or let's say one for one parallels between um, life in Israel and in America, especially vis-a-vis, -vis, um, uh, you know, our, our distinct systems of structural uh, racism. But that said, I think, um, I think there's a time we're sort of in a time of of um, hegemonic reckoning. I, I think we're people who belong to a hegemony. So in America, um, white people are evaluating um, not just our participation in in structural violence and not just the way we've benefited, though we have, I have, but also the, the costs um, that that there's. That 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 con that the um, that the status quo or the 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 existence of a rigid hegemonic structure in which values certain lives over others uh, keeps everyone less free and hurts everyone, not proportionately, um, not in ways that are again you know symmetrical or identical or perhaps even comparable. And yet the the truth is that. Um, uh, that that living inside in America, white supremacy has made us all less free, and and I, I, I so too I think you know um, the the reality as I have seen it is that the occupation um, in in the West Bank um, makes everyone living there less free. The narrator talked about the systemic support for maintaining the status quo, of talk of careers built on compromises and bad faith, and the mall that Salem is killed in. It's fortified with money, so much money, American money, Saudi money, money. it's permanent. Um, and, and in connection with that, I'm thinking about Samar at the conference when she comes to America, and she notices the barb windows and ponders what acts of violence were anticipated. Samar trained herself to think like this, to see the resistance that the state feeds its imagination on. Um, and, and the undercurrents of that, we can see affecting the choices that she's making, um, having gone to America and then at the conference and, um, and her being so careful, uh, and, and I thought about that so much as I was thinking about talking about it today, because I was thinking, I've got to tread so lightly, um, you know, to, to say it the right way or, or um, 
I will be the the un unwoke person. And and then I was thinking about the other character in these scenes, which is this redheaded woman who is in air quotes um, woke, and she is so um, obnoxious and obviously unaware um, and disconnected. And I, I just, I, I, I feel like that scene brings up so many ideas about, you know, is Samar free to not be so careful? Is her being so careful and then hiding her authentic self, you know, continuing these, um, these frustrations and barriers that she's, she's rubbing up against? Yeah, so Samar is, I would say, Maybe my most, mm, I feel very, very connected to her chapters um, and writing them in some ways gave me a kind of better understanding of, of the novel I was trying to write. She's a professor. She studies memory and narrative. And, you know, in a way, I, I kind of had to, I had to do some research um, into the kind of, um, let's say, theoretical approaches to power. I had to do my, a little bit of reading t- to be able to write her with some kind of credibility. Um, it, it's tricky writing a character who's without a doubt better read than you are. <laughs> so, so that, that was an, that, but, but, but um, challenging myself to read um, the world, wherever she is, if she's at a, a checkpoint in the West Bank or a academic conference in Chicago, um, no, with, with, with all that she knows from her studies and her research and also through the lived experience of her body was a huge challenge. I, and, and it, it taught me very much. I, 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 I hope I, I do hope I've done right by her because she, that character, she's, she faces so much hostility um, as she tries to preserve the life of the mind. Um, it, you know, f- from um, you know the, the powers of the state to some resistance in her own community about the choices she's made. And I so badly wanted to protect her from anything that could hurt her, and I, of course, I could not do that. But I, at the very least, I. I hope I protected her from a, my own worst instincts as a writer, you know, to, to, to limit her in some way, to limit the, the range of her reactions or the, um, the, uh, it, uh, in earlier drafts, I, she, 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 she was maybe too much of a saint. And, and, and I really had to give myself a talking to essentially and say, you know, you, you can't deprive this woman of a full range of human emotions. Like she, You've got to have her bullying that sister-in-law a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she, she's she's a human. She she's not a symbol. Um, and I I think that um that um yeah. So so I, I I've gotten a little. I, I've strayed a little from your question. Yeah yeah no that's okay. We'll veer because I'm thinking was Sarah more of a symbol? Um, Sarah is a. Uh, 
a writer and and she she it says about it said about her Sarah doesn't so much toe a line as maintain a contradiction in which she's a liberal who bemoans the loss of any human life and yet also a Zionist willing to make the sacrifices that a Jewish state requires and I feel like many of the women um, struggle with and suffer from that. Uh, similar experience of contradiction that Emily does and Miriam definitely does. Um, was that something that just grew within all the characters? Mm. Well, I, I, so Sarah is interesting that, that you mentioned the, the American reporter, she does not get her own chapter. So we're never <laughs> we don't want her to have one either. <laughs> <laughs> so, but in a way, I I, I do feel a little uh, I I pity I pity the woman who has to suffer <laughs> being described by Vera, who who is the German journalist who, whose chapter you're quoting from. Vera was a as much as I took great I would say sort of mm, there was something very grounding and purposeful about writing Summer's chapters. And Vera just brought out the meanest, the meanest part of me. Um, she, you know, she says things about Sarah that I, I won't quote on air, but perhaps you know things I'm, I'm referring to, th- things she, she thinks about her, says about her. And there's so much, there's so much anger and so much pain in Vera. And that's something that I hope is sort of... And, and jealousy, right? There's envy and there's... Jealousy. Yeah, there's a lack of confidence and, and sense of worth. Yes. So, yes, there, there is. And, and, um, and, and that really is reflected in how she describes um, other women. And um, so I... You know, I, 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 it would have been interesting to write a little from Sarah's point of view. I, I have to imagine she's a much different person than, than the one that, that, that Vera sees. But, uh, you know, eventually it was like a, a bar tab. I, I think it's important, though, because I think it's important that that element of all of the women, and, and especially in their marriages, um, where they see themselves, where they're willing to... Um, You've got a great, a great, a beautiful line that says, you can live inside a place and refuse to see it. You can live inside a marriage like that, too. Her parents tell themselves a story about themselves. Whatever doesn't fit, they ignore. And you see that with Sarah. You see that with Miriam. You see that with Emily. I mean, you see it with all the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's such a fantastic parallel with your exploration of, of relationship and marriages with the, um, the, the conflict itself. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, I, I, I hope, I, I hope it's okay for me to say that I truly, if, if all of the readers are half as attentive and generous as you, I, I'll be very fortunate. It, it's funny, I, I don't know if you felt this, like you write something and you're, you're never sure how much of what you, was important to me, how much I was trying to put into it will be perceived or even valued by the reader in a way. And, I think for me, actually, yes, systems of um, the way that systems of power reverberate in our personal lives and in the dynamics, um, I would say, I think especially between men and women, um, I, um, I, it is something that, or at least in my, in my experience, 
is something that that um I, I would say is one of my obsessions um and and kind of um that 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 no matter what I'm writing about I seem to always have one eye on on that <laughs> and well, I love yeah. that you said at the beginning that that I, I hadn't thought of it before in that way, that a writer writes a book and hopes that the book that they've written is is read by the reader. And, and every reader has a different experience. But that I hadn't thought of the longing of the writer that the, the book that they wrote is at least read by some readers um, and, and that desire. Yes, that's exactly how it feels. And, and you just you never know. Or that's what I have found. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and in some, in some responses, it, it's almost as if people read a, a book different from the one I wrote. And there's a richness in that, that, that I'm learning maybe that, that I'm learning about, about, about the novel that I wrote and, and these different readings. And, you know, I, there, there's all kinds of debate as I understand it, um, in theory about the intention of the writer. I, I don't know a lot about this. Some are could weigh in, alas. Uh -huh. <laughs> But um, well, on your but, book flap, and I'm guessing you didn't write the flap because I've learned that that most of times the the writer hasn't hasn't written that or, or been asked. But one of the things that surprised me to see was it, it was a great a great introduction. It says a novel of great humanity, compassion, and astonishing immediacy. This inventive debut captures the emotional reality of contemporary life in the West Bank and the irreconcilable Israeli-Palestinian conflict through a collage of narrative voices and different viewpoints centered on two tragic events. And it was the word irreconcilable. And I wondered if you as the author felt that as you were writing or feel that now that the conflict is irreconcilable. Hmm. I don't know if I, it's funny. I, I, as you said that I took a look at, at that copy and I asked myself, I, I wondered, I was like, I, how, how closely did I inspect this? And, and should I have thought about it more? I, I didn't write it, of course, they, <laughs> but, um, um, but irreconcilable. It's, you know, I, I have come to maybe, accept what my contribution to this discussion is. And I, I, I think I, I feel compelled to investigate the consequences of the, the current state of the conflict and, and I guess it's, it's history within living memory um, to, to investigate the consequences of these, various uh, boundaries that define life especially in the west bank but 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 all over israel and, and and palestine and and i i think that is where i am useful and where i i i can illuminate something that the consequences in people's personal lives and their if i can use the word souls <laughs> but in terms of I'm amazed by how few actual sort of political insights I have. Um, you know, what 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 decisions the Israeli government will make or what what the Israeli government's like investment is, for example, in uh, continued violence or the Palestinian authorities uh, investment in continued violence or or um, the the merits of various, um, you know, solutions um uh so-called solutions i 
I'm, I'm, it's almost, it's almost funny to me. Um, well, how, I, it makes sense I, because I, I, I don't think that's where real change actually comes from, right? Mm -hmm. it, it can't be dictated from the state in that sense. And I also think that I don't believe that change, we can change things internally or ex externally by fighting against them, right? There has to be this initial willingness, and this is what your book provides, a willingness to soften into what is, like long mm -hmm. enough to figure out what the alternatives look like, and then mm -hmm. figure out how to go about getting that, right? Like that, that was the magic I, I experienced again and again in your book, that it allow, allows for those spaces. Um, and, and another what I read <laughs> was a string um, going through the book about growing up. And, and I noticed there were a couple times I, I, um, I caught a repetition of different characters telling other people to grow up. I think Vera did it once not very nicely. And I think actually then I think also Emily did it to Vera when she thought she was a teenager um, and told her, why don't you grow up? And then there's, I think it seems a lot about Ori, um, growing up and, and his mom, Miriam's musing on growing up. Oh, I think they tell Rachel to grow up at some point too, who's, who's a soon to be bride, um, Jewish bride. And there's a, a great um, bit in the chapter sisters. And one of the sisters says, why does growing up mean pulling apart? Why can't it mean coming together, becoming closer and closer until they're entwined like a single braid woven from two girls hair? Was growing up a aspect that you um, were consciously exploring? Oh, I love this thread. Hmm. I think that I don't I don't know. I, I did not put it in those words to myself. And I'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of the day. I, I love this. But I do know that, yes, I think I think the process of being of going from being a child to being a person who has some autonomy and the painful complications of that, uh, how hard it is for, for parents to let go and how sometimes that love can express itself as a kind of control as, as a child is trying to grow up and become an adolescent. And also the, the sense of loss and almost mourning, I think. I know that I feel for, for um, you know, for my childhood and, and for a sense of closeness and intimacy with, with my, my, my family that, is sort of impossible to to maintain and recreate as as the you know the the children become adults and and our lives become you know we're still close but, but sort of separate so i yeah i i think this sort of this tension between intimacy and autonomy and and um and uh maybe like all tensions <laughs> like all conflicts <laughs> irreconcilable but um but um but yes, I, I I think that does preoccupy me, and and I I I think um I I think you're so right that 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 it has its own sort of iteration in um in each of the the young people's relationships in, in the book. Absolutely, I'm thinking now just as you're speaking to the that throughout the book that is a, a push and pull between um, Miriam and Ori. And, mm. you know, she keeps kind of butting in um, when he's on duty. 
and that it, it also seems to exemplify the bigger struggles of even um, staying in the in the settlements and, and the validity of that. And, and Miriam says the locked doors and the locked windows, the walls and the barbed wire, the grief, the rocks, the knives, and all the ways there are to die in these territories. And so seems to parallel um, other characters. I, I I can't remember who it is, but at the beginning of the book, one of the boys who's a soccer player, and he's sort of struggling with whether he's going to continue to to um, abide by the commandments as he's at practice. And there's talk about, you know, what it comes down to really is how far you have to push the boundaries to protect its heart. Um and and uh, so I think Yatsmir um, tells himself mm-hmm. he won't bother with all the commandments, and and yet he does it. And at some point, the the narrator says, maybe that's how it is. Growing up the way he did, it's easier to keep going than to stop. And and you can imagine this this struggle of of being locked in doing the things um, we do because there's a safety in that um, and an identity in that. And um, towards the end of the book. Uh, one of the characters has an, a life-changing event, and he struggles to hold on to things staying the same. And he mm-hmm. chooses to go along with his friends, as he says of someone who helped him, unexpectedly helped him. Um, the bitch smelled exactly like hummus. And then you write, he feels, for a beautiful second, he feels like maybe everything is going to be okay. And what I read that as, okay, because it's going to stay the same. And that there was somehow some saving grace in that. Yes, I, I yes, I, um, I think that for maybe a lot of readers who don't come from a religious background or um, perhaps a maybe have different experiences of, of ideology, there's this there's this idea that. Um, freedom is the most (laughs) free in a sense. But in truth, I think a lot of the characters who come from very close knit communities, uh, religious communities or communities very bound by, by tradition, there's a a more complicated reality where um, there's a constant tension between individual desire and, you know, the things you want to do, you want to eat, how you want to spend your time and your money. And, and your obligations to your community. But not having any obligations to your community doesn't mean you're free. It actually just means you're lonely. <laughs> and, and, and I think that um, that was something I had to sort of unlearn in a sense. There were, some, there were times where maybe my first instinct would be, oh, well, this character, you know, she, she, she wants to, you know, somehow she wants to pursue her, her um, academic studies, so she should just, you know, get out of there. She should get out of Palestine, and and you know, maybe you know, maybe in Chicago she'll feel like she can have this life of the mind. But actually, in Chicago, she feels kind of displaced and adrift, and she she misses a, a place where she is um, where she is known and 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 loved and and understood, and doesn't always have to be reading herself through the eyes of someone from outside of her community and accommodating their reading by being very careful with her actions. And, and I think, uh, yeah, the, the, the character, Amair, the, the young, um, the young, you know, he's a teenage soccer player. Um, 
professional professional soccer player. So so being he's from a religious family, but now being exposed to maybe more ways of life than than he had been growing up, and and I think he finds that that some, that personal freedom that puts you perhaps at odds with the traditions of your community. It, it's it's not an easy choice um, because uh, you know c- community life is. It's not just important, but I think is a, is a form of identity that 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 maybe is is as important as as individual identity to, for for certain if you're if you're born and raised a certain way. So I, I think this was these were often cases where I had to maybe suspend the um, you know my my background as a fairly um, secular American um, and and really inhabit the the realities and the priorities of of people emerging from from close-knit loving demanding communities i'm debating because i wanted to ask you about the scene with ori and the cherries (laughs) because it was so um compelling Mm. and dramatic i think and um moving for him as a character. Um, But we just have a few minutes. So I think instead, um, I want to talk about uh, Hamid and the falafel, because um, in that scene, there are a number of things that then come up throughout the book. Um, One is the doves. And um, in in the midst of that scene, Hamid notices a dove has taken flight into the filthy sky. And there are other times in the book where doves appear and and a flock of doves are are seen. And and I think Hamid also sees doves going up into the sky later. Um, And there's a song that he mentions earlier is actually an Arab song that has been culturally appropriated. And that song reappears throughout the book in, in different people's experience that I, I feel like links the characters as we go through the book. Um, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about the scene with Hamid at the beginning. Um, it, it was just so, so well written. Um, and the falafel. And, um, you know, if, if anything had to, like you had to pick one part that then encapsulated the, the entire book, I think it might be that. Um, so maybe we can just talk about that a bit. Of course, with with pleasure. I, that's a, that was an interesting scene for me to write because, um, having having Hamid see the Israeli state from the inside and um, explain it to himself, sort of as best he can. So the the falafel is interesting, as is the music he's hearing, because in fact, often there's a kind of um, interplay between Palestinian culture and. Uh, perhaps elements of um, uh, cultural artifacts, let's say, brought by Jews um, who are called Mizrahi Jews, Jews who are living in um, essentially the Arab world and um, and came to Israel. And so the it, it's actually the narrative is 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 let's say more complicated than a simple narrative of of cultural appropriation. But what to me was um, irresistible in a way was kind of always layering and complicating and offering Hamid this sense of recognition and alienation simultaneously. Uh, so, so much, 
so much that's almost familiar um, and yet is 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 not and in that way becomes disturbing. And and amongst all that, I think the um, the 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 sort of startling miracles of of hope and and possibility and and connection. I'm never sure how much to trust them uh, when 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 they when they um, introduce themselves into my narratives or or into my life. Um, but it's irresistible. You know, you'll you'll go you you'll you'll be in the West Bank and and you'll see a you know a dove perched on barbed wire and and it's irresistible and you want it to mean something. Um, and I, I think that's a sort of a debate I have with myself as a writer and as a person, how, um, how much to let it mean. And, and how much Hamid's going to let it mean, right? In those moments, in those moments when he shifts and sees that, sees the, the we see the falafel juice dripping down his hand. Um, he says something about this exchange the normalcy of this exchange has opened a door, has created a moment. Yes, and, and it's funny. I uh, That moment surprised me. There's an interaction that seems to be based on a misunderstanding, but the timing of it is such that it creates for him a kind of a small miracle that is going to allow him to survive another day. Um, and, and, and this was sort of... Um, exciting and for, for me I, I i didn't know how or if he was going to get out of this bus station i i i didn't know um uh, and i was nervous for him so it was also a relief for me i, I think some of the relief he feels is also my own relief that mm -hmm. okay this character has made it out there's been this misunderstanding someone handed him the sandwich he didn't order the sandwich but he's holding the sandwich now it smells the, the soldiers who are teenage girls are kind of like grossed out by it and just like ugh, like get out of here like you know and in this moment which is born out of the fact that every single person in this scene is a human being mm -hmm. with their own feelings about what's happening their own reading their own priority and and no one, no one in that scene, and I hope no one in the book, is, is a symbol for anything. Not the soldiers, not the um, Mizrahi Jew who's selling the falafel, not Hamid who has found himself on the wrong bus on the wrong day in the wrong place. But, but there's a kind of confluence of, of human decisions and perspectives and fallibility. And, and in this moment, um, by the grace of God, they, they, they conspire in Hamid's favor. So I was glad for that. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, Ellie. Thank you. And, and, and thank you for your beautiful, generous readings of this novel. Mm, beautiful, generous book. Okay. Mm. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye.